Well, this week we'll be looking at one of the most miraculous moments in Christ's ministry. You know, growing up in church, I remembered learning about miraculous events in the Bible. And it really made, my, um, made me scratch my head in wonder as I read and heard of these stories. Events like Elijah raising a young boy from death in 1 Kings 17.17 uh, to verses 24. Or how about when Elisha raised the lady uh, from Shunem in 2 Kings uh, chapter 4, verses 32 to 37. And when a dead man touched the bones of Elisha in 2 Kings 13.21 and came back to life. What insane situations. How would people have reacted to these crazy stories? How would the people that have been raised react to these stories? Now, outside of the Bible, we have actually heard of other instances where miracles on this scale seemed to have occurred. Like the story of a young farmer from a British town. On October 2nd, 1571, a young farmer named Matthew Wall had died and was being taken to his gravesite. During the funeral procession to the gravesite, a pallbearer slipped on some leaves and dropped the coffin to the ground. Now, to the surprise of everyone present, as they were lifting the coffin back up, they heard a knocking sound coming from inside of the coffin. As they opened the coffin, they found Matthew alive. Matthew eventually went on to live another 24 years with his wife, and since then, the village he lived in, Brahing Village in the UK, has commemorated Old Man's Day on October 2nd. In the celebration of this momentous occasion, the children from the village bring brooms to clean the streets so that no one ever slips on leaves again. Or, how about the story of a Catholic monk named Thomas Akempis, who helped write the book called The Imitation of Christ. I highly recommend that read if you ever get a chance. So, Sometime after Thomas's Akempis's death in the town of Zwolle in the Netherlands, there was some Catholic priests looking to canonize him or bring him a part of the a sainthood. Upon investigating his life, they had found that Thomas Akempis, after being buried, had awakened in his coffin. The evidence they had found were scratch marks on the top lid of his coffin. Now, because of his attempt at trying to escape the coffin, as I'm sure any of us were trapped in that situation would panic, he was deemed not fit to enter into the sainthood of the Catholic Church. He was taken off the list and left. Now, these are really wild tales, are they not? And in fact, these resurrections led to the very pivotal role in, those, in that era of a person called a grave watcher or grave digger. It was the dreaded graveyard shift. That was because many people of that time, the 16th to 18th centuries, would be put into coffins and buried before they were actually dead. Thus, the grave digger became a very important job. It was their job to listen and to locate some of these unfortunate victims. In fact, being buried alive accidentally was so common that safety, common, uh, safety coffins were in vogue at that time. You can actually look up these very brilliant mechanisms that they were designed to try and alert the grave watcher if they were indeed alive. Now, these stories of resurrections are hard to exactly prove other than hearsay. Some are unfortunate medical mistakes and diagnoses that went uh, uh, unchecked or, in, or were incorrect. And something interesting to note about this is that many of these resurrections happened within a matter of hours or within about a day or so of these deaths occurring. Now, thankfully today, these cases are extremely rare. So you do not have to worry about being buried alive and thank, thanks mainly to our advances in medicine, we can tell when we're actually 
not here anymore. <laughs> so we don't need to worry about that. But we also know that there have been resurrections that are unexplainable and different, such as the story of Lazarus. We read of this account in the Gospel of John in chapter 11. Now we're going to break up some of these verses into groups as we read through, so you can read along with the words behind me on the screen, or if you have your phones, you can go ahead and open up the Bible app as we enter into this. So starting in verse 1, it says this. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus was now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. Jumping down to verse 17. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and to Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection of the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God who has come into the world. Jumping down to verse 38. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad order. He's been there already four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I, know, I knew that you always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe in the one you sent. When he, said, when he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out. His hands and feet were wrapped with strips of linen, and a cloth was around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Amen. So we have a sick, close friend of Jesus who is on his deathbed. We have Martha and Mary tell Jesus to do something, to intervene as they would have seen him intervene on numerous occasions throughout his ministry and preaching all over Israel. So they go to him, and instead Jesus says to wait because it's all been taken care of. And then Lazarus dies. Everyone is in mourning. Jesus finally arrives after... Uh, feels like an eternity, I'm sure, as most people who were close to him would have been there right away, or close to Mary and Martha would have been there right away. And then we have the moment. The life-giving presence of Christ enters in and wakes Lazarus up from the grave. 
So as I looked at this passage and wondered about this event, I noticed four important details that John inserts into this gospel that sets the stage for this miraculous moment. The first is that Jesus arrives after four days. Now this is important because he purposely took his time to prove a point that Lazarus was indeed dead. You see, in the Jewish culture at the time, many believed that the soul of a body hovered around the person for about three days. So Christ came to disprove this myth, and that's why it's believed he waited this extra day to dispel any idea that he somehow manipulated the soul or the spirit of the person and to prove that Lazarus was actually dead and gone. It's clear in this case, Lazarus was not just unconscious as well. He was gone. There was no brain, no heart, completely dead. In verse 38, the stench coming from the tomb confirms that. The second detail he inserts is when Jesus arrives to the morning town, Martha runs out to meet Jesus, but Mary stays home. I suspect that Martha ran out to Jesus in her grief and reaction to these events. Mary, on the other hand, filled with hurt and grief, stays home, still processing this death. Maybe questions filled her head like, why didn't Jesus stop this? Like, didn't he do miracles for so many, healing so many lepers and lame and sick? And yet here, she's stuck at home, a close family friend, and Jesus does nothing. I suspect these questions and feelings would have filled her mind as only as natural to any of us in the same position. And not only that, but being confronted with the reality of death, it stings. Now, another detail in the third part here is that Jesus makes an astonishing claim with an amazing proclamation of faith that follows it. In verse 23 to 26, we read about the fifth I am statement here. Now, as a side note, John is signaling to the reader, as what Amber had pointed out a couple weeks ago in the starting of this series, that Jesus is claiming very clearly Godhood here. The exchange goes something like this. Jesus says to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God who comes into the world. Now, in that time, many believed that there was an afterlife. So when Jesus states her brother will eventually live, she realizes it's not the end of her brother. There is a future to look forward to. So it's almost confusing that Jesus is stating the obvious here. But then it gets personal as Jesus directs the moment to himself and states that he is the resurrection and the life. And she makes a powerful confession, but she does not realize in that very moment what is about to happen and how true her confession is. And fourth point is that Jesus calls Lazarus by name. It has been noted in a commentary that I read that if Christ had not called Lazarus specifically out by name, it could have been that the entire graveyard would have come alive as the words of Christ have that much power of life. It is also possible Christ would have known many who were buried there through friends of friends, maybe aunts, uncles, relatives, who knows. But I know Christ would have known each one. What a sight that would have been seeing the entire graveyard come alive as he called forth someone. Well, funny you should, we should note that because actually in Matthew 27, verse 52, when Christ died, the earth shook. And we actually saw people come out of their graves. 
when he breathed his last breath. So we see once again a foreshadowing of the life-giving presence of God. Now, all of these details set the stage for what God will do in the raising of Lazarus. Now, it's great. We got some of these details and these points. We've got some biblical knowledge and background, but how or what do we make of this chapter, and how does it relate to our understanding of Christ and his work for our lives today? How do we take all this knowledge, and how does it work for us here and now in 2023? Well, the first point that we see in this chapter is that Jesus knows ahead of time. Jesus could have gone early and healed Lazarus, or he could have showed up even a day earlier, but no, he chose to delay. And this is because he saw it before it happened. Now, we can question it, but he is always on time and has a plan. Some of us know exactly what this feels like. Maybe we've waited for something that hasn't happened, or God hasn't seemed to come through on something we've so longed for, but then years go by, and we go to that event or that moment And it turns out that God had a plan. You see, it's not easy to trust in this plan, but he will never fail us. In Isaiah 55, verse 8, it says this, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. Jesus knows ahead of time. Secondly, Jesus comforts us in our losses or in our grief. And weakness. Even though Jesus knew Lazarus was going to die, he still stepped into Mary and Martha's grief. He experienced the real pain of loss and wept, as we have all wept for those who we've loved. When we grieve, he grieves with us. When we hurt, he hurts with us. Jesus feels loss and grief like we do. He felt it firsthand before any of us were even here. See, the sting of death. It's something that he can relate to very clearly. But he's able to comfort us because he knows what it means to stand in that moment. The scripture states in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 to 5, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. Jesus is the great comforter in our losses, our weakness, and our grief. Finally, Jesus is our present and ongoing hope. In John 11, verse 25, Jesus confronts our hopelessness with We see Jesus push back the darkness of death, and he stands victorious over it, illuminating the tomb with his life, with his very light. Look at John 11, verse 25. Jesus states before this victorious moment that he is the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. This verse can also be translated as anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. The way the in me will live part of this verse in the original language conveys an ongoing belief, eternal life that is present here and now, not just for the hereafter. Meaning you believe now and you are to continue to believe until he comes again. Belief in Christ is not just a one-time confession that he is Lord. It is a constant confession that he is Lord. Amen? 
Amen. So Jesus not only makes our destination right, he provides life for our present now and provides a way through what we face today and what we will face tomorrow. He gives us life now and for our future. He is the ever-present and ongoing hope. Now, all of this points to the greatest miraculous event ever known to mankind. You see, what John foreshadows in chapter 11 of this gospel is Jesus' own resurrection. You see, Christ's resurrection stands far above all other ones because he claimed he was God and that he was able to raise himself. And we see the interesting parallel and irony in John where Christ brings life to another and yet loses his own life for the sake of others. And John brings to the forefront that Jesus' mission was to create life in death. We see this connection in the beginning of the gospel in John verse 1-4. It says, in him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. You see, for Lazarus to be raised from the dead, Jesus needs to be raised from the dead. Why? Because he is claiming that he is God, and Christ proves it in his own death and resurrection. He proves it by dying through the crucifixion, which was a horrific and tragic way to die. It was brutal. The Romans knew how to kill, and they were very good at it. They invented horrible ways to torture, and so he was hung. And as he died, the Romans pierced him with a spear just to make sure he was dead. Then Christ was raised to life and showed himself to eyewitnesses. Eyewitnesses which wrote the very pages of the Bible we hold in our hands and have on our smartphones. These eyewitnesses went to their deaths because they could not lie about the truth of what they had seen and what they had heard. And finally, Jesus proves himself to be God when he leaves the empty tomb for all to see. The empty tomb is a sign that Jesus is resurrected, that he is indeed life itself. The empty tomb provides a way where there is no way. The empty tomb breaks the very curse that you and I have all been under. And now he is risen and he is enthroned in the highest place. His body is raised to life and shall forevermore be praised. Amen. So in conclusion, Jesus states this very clear fifth statement. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? This question was posed to Martha, but now it is posed to you this morning. Do you truly believe that he is the resurrection and the life? Do you believe that Christ is who he says he is? God that has come to earth to actually save us from the power of sin and death. Some of us here this morning need to grab a hold of this life-saving work now. Others of us need to declare this truth again and remind ourselves of where we stand in relation to death. So do we believe him? Do we here at Eastside City Church this morning, do we believe him? Now I'd like to invite some uh, individuals from the prayer team and in a minute we will sing a closing worship song But as we're ending, I wanted to stand and deliver Martha's confession together. And we're going to just stay here for a minute. We're just going to allow the Spirit to speak to our hearts and what what he's speaking to us here through his scripture. But if you do need prayer, 
you can come up. Feel free to uh, come to the altar and just to listen to what the Lord might have for you. But just remember not to let this moment pass by because Christ's words are very true, very real, and they can and will transform your life. And so as the closing, if we can all stand together and we're just going to read this confession on the screen before us here. It says this, we believe that you are the Messiah. the Son of God who has come into the world, that you are the resurrection and the life, the light to all mankind. I'm going to read it one more time. We believe, Lord, that you are the Messiah, the Son of God who has come into the world, that you are the resurrection and the life, the light to all mankind. Fathers, we just stand here before you, Lord, and as we recall God, what Martha said to you, Jesus. Lord, there's so many of us here in this moment. God, we know who you are. God, you've been faithful. You've walked beside us. And God, we just want to proclaim once again your goodness and your faithfulness. We want to proclaim your life-saving work. We want to remind ourselves of that empty tomb and what you've done for us, God. Oh, we thank you so much for the pain that you went through. We thank you so much that your words give life.